Hello, I'm Pastor Zach Hoffman, and I'm the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Gainesville, Georgia, where we seek to know Christ and love one another. We do this by witnessing faithfully, transforming our homes into places where the Word of God dwells, and by investing in the communities around us. We hope that you enjoy this podcast, and if you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning, our service times are at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. God's blessings. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Matthew chapter 26, verse 10. After the disciples troubled the woman who anointed Jesus, Jesus responds like this in verse 10. Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. Normally at this point I would ask you to open up your Bibles, and if you do have your Bible with you, please open it up to Matthew chapter 26, uh, again, there's always opportunity to underline things, take notes, so you have something from the sermon to take with you uh, as you leave here today. Uh, however, we're going to be working a little bit differently this morning because you've received an insert uh, that has uh, three different images on it, and we're going to be talking through those different images as they relate to our gospel story today. The first image on top is a fascinating picture, at least for me as I, as I look at it. It's a picture of a portrait or an image of a painting, however you want to put it. But you have, uh, first of all, in the middle of that picture, a painting where you can see John the Baptist, and he is pointing to Jesus, and he's saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everyone in that painting that John the Baptist is referring to is wearing first century clothing. They look like they're from that time period. With some small adjustments, as we were looking at the picture, uh, we noticed that some of the people in that time period weren't wearing pants. So our fabulous secretary, Meredith, put pants on them for you. But that's the only bit of modern clothing. We just didn't want that to be a distraction for you today. No, no. Well, they, they might be, but they weren't wearing them. Those were put on them after that image was taken. And so you have the ancient crowd, that first century crowd, that is hearing John the Baptist proclaim, Behold the Lamb of God. But as you look at the picture, the, the painting is hung up in a museum, and there you have a crowd gathered in front of that image. And the ancient crowd merges together with the modern crowd, with the people in today's dress and clothing, the people from this time period, people who are alive now. And it's almost as if John the Baptist's words leap out of the painting and right to that crowd, as if he is addressing both his immediate audience and the audience that is gathered in the museum. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this image bears a truth to us. Because that message of John the Baptist pulls us into the story of Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who at this point in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 26, he is about to undergo his arrest, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. We will see him as the Lamb slain for our sins. And what do we do? We behold him. That's our part in the story. We behold the Lamb of God. We look to him in faith. And so John the Baptist's words jump out, not just to the people gathered in the museum, but they jump out to us. Our story is a part of Christ's story. As Christ bore the sins of the world, He bore your sins, your shame, your guilt, your fears. He bore all of that, everything in your story. He took upon His shoulders and died. And so we have been brought into that story. Even though His death is a past event, today, now, we have been brought into that story of Christ's death and resurrection. Likewise, in Matthew 26, you have this, this woman who anoints Jesus with this expensive jar of ointment. 
And she didn't realize what she was doing at that time, I would bet. And she didn't know also, I would bet, that what Jesus would say in response to her actions. But when she anoints Jesus for his burial, Jesus says that wherever the gospel is told, in any age, to any people, that they will also remember her. Her story is a part of Christ's story. The second image you have is a funny one to me. The image on, I believe, the left side is, is a large picture of, or a picture of a large baby Jesus. This statue was completed in Mexico, in a church in Mexico last year. And there are two things that happen unintentionally with this statue. The baby statue is 21 feet tall, which unintentionally actually became the largest statue of the infant baby Jesus in the world. The other thing that happened unintentionally is that against all odds, that baby Jesus also happens to look like the lead singer in the band Genesis, Phil Collins. There's some that also have compared this baby Jesus to Nicolas Cage. You can interpret it however you want. I'm leaning towards Phil Collins. And so you have an image that doesn't look quite what Jesus was supposed to look like, or at least not what we're used to. It was, it was, a, it was a distorted image of Jesus, and it's hung high up on a wall. And that's exactly what's happening in the story in Matthew 26. The disciples see, or see their Lord as one who is high up, powerful, and untouchable. And... Maybe we can understand why they would want Jesus to be that way, why they would see Jesus that way. Because of Jesus as high up, powerful, and untouchable, this great king who will rule in an uninterrupted reign forever and ever, then it means that they will also share in his story, and they will also share in the benefits, being close to him, of being high and lifted up and untouchable. And so this woman who, who breaks this ointment the disciples note in the Gospel of Matthew that it's expensive. If we read the same story in Mark, Mark points out that the, that the disciples evaluated that jar to be worth 300 denarii, which was a huge sum back in the ancient world. Our Gospel says that the disciples troubled the woman in Matthew. In Mark, if you read the story, it says that they scolded the woman. Go away. Get your hands and that ointment off of Jesus. It should have been used for something else. What a waste. And you can't blame them entirely for thinking that that jar, that ointment, should have been used to help the poor. After all, it was Jesus that taught them directly about being generous to the poor and the Sermon on the Mount. And even before that, you had John the Baptist who was telling all who would hear him that the person who has two tunics should give to the one who has none. So generosity for the poor is taught all throughout the Gospels. It's in Matthew, it's all over the place, and the others as well, Mark and Luke and John. But their image of Jesus wasn't complete. The way that they were seeing him hadn't quite come together to what Jesus was saying. Because while they were worried about the poor and using that ointment to, to help feed the poor, they also forgot that they were sitting in front of the same Lord who with basically nothing, five loaves and two fish, fed 5,000. And who also did a similar miracle later on to feed 4,000. A disciple's job is not always to be counting the pennies and trying to figure out how the disciple can make things work. It's not what the disciple has. It's who the disciple has. It's not what the disciple has. It's who the disciple has. 
And I think they're missing this other point in the story as well. As they're scolding and, and troubling this woman who has made this beautiful sacrifice to anoint Jesus, I think they miss that, that the purpose of, of feeding the poor and, and clothing the poor and being with the poor is that those same poor might return praise and worship to Jesus so that they might embrace him through that work. It's one thing to think of Jesus as one who will hand out the goods to those who are in need, who, who will touch with the healing if necessary. But Jesus came in the flesh also to be embraced by the poor, by the lowly, and by the poor in spirit. The next image you have is also one that's, that's a little bit weird. It's a series of weird images today. It's the third one on your page. But it's sort of a modern retelling of, of, of this story that we have here in Matthew 26 of the, of the woman anointing Jesus for his burial. And the person in the foreground definitely doesn't look like Jesus, but you can tell that that's who he is supposed to be, especially if you know the story here in the gospel. He's wearing a, a modern-day button-down shirt and pants, and, and his, his arms are kind of held out at a weird angle. One is sort of up in the air. The other one is, is cradling the, the woman's head. And then you have also the, the woman... Also, her pose is kind of odd as she's pouring this, this ointment on, on Jesus' head and she's holding on to him. The only thing that's normal about this image is that in the corner, in the left corner, you have those in the back of the painting who are reacting by giving this woman and Jesus a strange look. They're kind of horrified or offended as they stare at this scene that is taking place. And the reason why that is normal is because that would be our expression if this were taking place in our kitchens or dining rooms today. But I think one point that we can take also from this painting, one truth that's communicated to us from this piece of art is that this story of, of the woman anointing Jesus still happens today in different times and in different places. And I'll give you an example or a couple examples actually of that. When I was in college, I was on a, on a mission trip sent from, from my university down to Juarez, Mexico to work with an organization called Casas por Cristo. We, we built two houses for people who were in need in the city of Juarez, Mexico. When we were done building the second house, the family threw out this wonderful meal for us on our last day. It, it was great. It was delicious. And I think I've told you before in different sermons that I have a food-specific memory. Like, I can tell you about specific diners where I've had specific food, about, about the place in, in, in Key West that has the best key lime pie that I've ever had. I can identify that place. I can take you there right now if, if needed, if anybody would like to pay for that. And, and so I have a food-specific memory, and I remember the, the, the food that I ate, and it was delicious in Juarez sitting in front of the house that we just completed. But later on, after that meal was done, I was speaking with uh, one of the professors on the trip. This professor had a, had a background in mission work, and he said, you know, the food that she cooked for us was about three months' wages for her. It's about three months' wages. And I remember being a little bit horrified by that, because I'll be honest with you. If I was in dire straits and you all and came and built a house for me, I would be so grateful, but you probably would just get a box of donuts. <laughs> I wouldn't even contemplate three months' wages. And so to think that, that they spent that much on just one meal seemed like a waste until I realized recently that what she did 
was a beautiful thing, not unto me, but unto Jesus. Not unto us who were there, but unto Christ who was in us. It was an act of worship, of sacrifice to the Lord. Another example is that there was a time where I was a busboy, and, and I was working in this restaurant, and it was a slow night, but there was one man who came in. He was causing quite a ruckus. He was loud. He was abrasive. He was throwing out curse words left and right, and he was very drunk, <laughs> really, really drunk. He was, as the kids say, lit. And so he was causing quite a scene and making a lot of people uncomfortable. So I went over and spoke to him. And I was about 15 at the time, so I hadn't quite learned in my age to just disregard people yet. Uh, and so I went over to the table, and the man reaches out his hand and grabs my hand. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I sure enjoyed having this hand. It might be the last time it's attached to me. Goodbye. And so he's holding on to my hand, and he begins to weep and cry, and he confesses everything that he did. His tears are falling down on the table, onto his sleeve, onto my hand, onto my sleeve. And I tell him about Jesus, and I pray for him, and I awkwardly try to extract my hand. <laughs> and I remember that there were some women sitting behind me somewhere in that restaurant, and they said something to the effect of, yeah, like, that guy can get any help, or something like that, like to indicate that his situation was impossible, and they were just annoyed that he was there. And just that you don't think that, that I'm the hero of this story, I remember taking their words to heart and feeling embarrassed as I walked away, thinking that, man, why would I even do that? That was silly. But yet again, in this man's state, even in his state, as he is confessing and hearing about Christ and hearing that through tears and weeping, he is pouring himself out, not before me, but before Jesus. And it was a beautiful thing. And for us, I would say the Good Shepherd is a church that is kind to the poor. It does a lot for the poor, actually. Remember, we had our thank you Sunday to all of our volunteers. I mean, we've fed a bunch of people through a food pantry. We've done a lot of other things to help people not just here locally, but around the world. And that's great. That's really good. But the question that I have, and the question that, that I wonder about for myself and also for all of us is, are we unintentionally sending a message that, that Jesus is one who will reach out and touch and, and, and give food and give help, but that he is not to be embraced by the poor? That he'll do the reaching out? but they can't cling on to him. And I don't know all the ways to, that, that to apply this, and, and I don't mean to make us, make us feel bad in any way for any of the, the work that we've done, because certainly we've done it out of love for our neighbor, because we have received the gospel and God has done so much for us. It's done out of gratitude. I'm suggesting that perhaps, maybe unintentionally, through barriers that we might have accidentally created or, or barriers that other people have created, that we don't always have the poor among us. And I wonder why that is. All I can suggest to us in, in this moment, and I don't have any great or deep answers, so again, disappointing sermon application. I'll try to get better next week. But disappointing sermon application might just be this, that when we're in the face of those who are poor or those who are outcasts or those who are just poor in spirit, even if they're otherwise well off, listen more deeply to that instinct this is not actually instinct. I would argue it's the spirit. It tells you to pray. 
for that person right then and there. Worry less about being good at prayer and just bring the need before Jesus because you know what it is and you can say it and put words to it and you can ask him to help. When, when, when it feels like that it's a little awkward to remain, but there's that slight nudge for you to sit down with a person and listen more deeply to what's going on, follow that nudge. That is the love of Christ in you. I'm going to point us back then to our last image, or to our first image, I'm sorry, back to the first image, where you have John the Baptist there, and, and, and all these crowds are blending together, ancient and modern, going from the painting to the museum, even now out to us, where our stories become a part of Jesus' story. And what I find interesting is that this story in Matthew 26, where the woman finds herself a part of Christ's story, happens just after Jesus teaches on the sheep and the goats. If you remember from last week, we, we, we talked about that, where we said that, that Jesus' brothers are the apostles and the evangelists, and, and then now today, anybody who brings the gospel to another person, those are Jesus' brothers. And he says, whatever you, whatever you have done to the least of these my brothers, you have done to me. And remember how the sheep were surprised that they, that they had actually done anything directly unto Jesus. Remember, remember their shock and awe, and remember also how they didn't say anything after Jesus commended them. I can almost think of them just sitting there in a joyful but, but stunned silence, like, that really? You know, all these things we forgot that we did, you're now rewarding? That, that when you were sick, we, we, we came and visited you? That when you were hungry, we gave you food? When you needed clothing, we gave you clothes? All that was done to you. They didn't know that. They thought that they were doing just some sort of small, forgettable, good thing. Yet for their hospitality, for their kindness and generosity, all that was done to Jesus. And here in Matthew 26, what Jesus was teaching about is actually happen happening in real life. That, that you have Simon the leper who is hosting Jesus. You have the woman who is being generous towards Jesus as Jesus is about to himself become the least of these. What he teaches about in Matthew 25 with the sheep and the goats and the reward and the surprise, all of that is happening now in Matthew 26. And so after the woman does this great act of generosity unto him, he says that her story will be told forever. Likewise, we have done more beautiful things than we know. Through God's Spirit, we have prayed, we have sat down, we have spoken and listened to people who are in need and people who are low in spirit and poor in spirit. And all these things, though we might forget them, are surprisingly beautiful. But that is only because of how Christ fully gave himself for us. The woman's actions here in this story are only beautiful because Jesus was going to his burial. Because Jesus was giving his life over to bleed and die for her and for the people in John the Baptist crowd and in the people, for the people in the museum and for us. That we have done things beautifully in his name only because Jesus first 
has made all things beautiful. Amen.